this is Brock and Saul. Brock Heward and Mark, Matt, Marcus. Sorry about just Mike. Mike. Presented by Carter, Volkswagen, and Ballard. On Seattle Sports. Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studio. Where's like the buff dudes at? Now here are your hosts, Brock Heward and Mike Saul. You know, I love some of the sound in our open, Brock, but it's always embarrassing when you have someone like Tom Ferducci waiting on the line, knowing that he's hearing you say things like, where are all the buff dudes at or whatever. Sound like Aaron Andrews to Richard Sherman. (laughs) It's very embarrassing. Tom, I promise we're generally not so embarrassing, but thank you for taking a few minutes with us. Uh, We're, uh, as you might imagine, pretty excited in Seattle today. First time in 20 years the Mariners have been in first place at this stage of the season. How about that? Yeah, pretty cool. Thanks for having me on, guys. It's uh, it's really fun to see. I mean, listen, I didn't think they'd have a run like this in them, and they just keep it going. So let's see how long they can keep this run going. Now, let me play you something. I, I, I've played this a few times this morning. It's from Julio Rodriguez uh, over the weekend, and I think it's it's a very interesting way of viewing the team. He was asked about how hot the team is, and he wasn't buying it. Still, we're not hot. Like, I'm going to keep saying it. We're not hot. We're just playing the ball that I know we, we're capable of. I feel like every every single every single guy on this team that they know that we, what, what they're capable of, we, we all see each other preparing ourselves. And I feel like that we're just playing the ball that we know we can. I feel like at the beginning of the year, everybody was was seeing, oh, why is this, this team not playing like this? It just This is just who we are. So maybe it's a strange question, Tom, but are the Mariners hot? Yeah, they're hot. I mean, listen, since the All-Star break where they play more than 700 baseball, it's that's hot. Yeah, I mean, you can't do that for, well, I don't know, certainly not for six months, but <laughs> even for four months. But, you know, they're taking advantage of the schedule. And that's not a knock on, on teams when they do that, because I feel like, you know, when you play some of the weaker teams, sometimes you feel like, for instance, last weekend with Kansas City, you don't want to just win the series. You want to sweep the series. And they've done that. I mean, they've kept the pedal down when they've had a, a series in hand. They'll, they'll close it out. So they've taken advantage of the schedule. Um, if you have any concerns about Seattle, I guess it is the schedule because they still have a losing record against winning teams. That's certainly going to be tested down the stretch in September. I mean, it all evens out over time. Um, but listen, I, I think this team is, they're playing, I'll, I'll say this offensively. I thought they were underperforming earlier in the season. So I get what Julio is saying there. It's a better offensive team than what they showed the first couple of months of the season. But yeah, I'm a, I'm a buying <laughs> that they're, they're going to win 70% of the games the rest of the way. But uh, I get where he's coming from, and they should feel that way, that this is who they are. Tom, where are all the buff dudes at? No, I'm just, I'm just kidding you. Um, <laughs> Handicap the race for the final 32. Texas, Houston, Seattle. From your national perspective, handicap that for me. Yeah, I, just on the strength of pitching, because I usually go pitching and defense to decide these close calls. I would say Seattle. I, you know, I think they have the best staff, one through 13. Um, now it's funny. It seems like it's an American Legion tournament at the end of the year where, you know, Texas, Houston, Seattle all playing each other in those last 10 games. And, uh, that ultimately will decide the division head to head. But yeah, I mean, right now I would say I would take Seattle's pitching staff over the other two. And that's certainly no disrespect to Houston because I mean, you have to respect their pedigree. They have a way of getting things done. They're getting Michael Brantley back probably this week. You know, it was really interesting. The other day I was doing an Astros game, and and Dusty Baker was talking about his team and how important Michael Brantley is. And, you know, Brantley is a professional hitter, left-handed. You know, they have mostly a right-handed lineup. I mean, you do have Alvarez and Tucker, but – 
Brantley just kind of is that guy that steady 300 hitter, puts the ball in play, keeps right-handed pitching honest. And Dusty specifically mentioned Seattle. I don't know whether he's looking forward to September or postseason possibly matchup, but he said Brantley is a guy we need against the Mariners because, I mean, he saw it in that weekend there where it's, you see the right-handed power pitching in Seattle. You better have some left-handed bats in the lineup that can turn around velocity. And Brantley turns out to be a key guy, at least in Dusty's mind, matching up against the Mariners. I love uh, what you did last week on, on the Mariners and sort of the uniqueness of this rotation. For those who didn't get a chance to hear it, maybe you could just sort of give us the, the Cliff Notes version. Why is this rotation maybe different from others? Yeah, it's interesting because this is a day and age. You guys know watching games every night, there are fewer fastballs thrown in this season than, than in the history of the game, really. And the Mariners are a team that have figured out that if you can kind of trick a hitter's eyes, in other words, have people who are throwing a baseball from angles that are different from the norm, that plays. And fastballs play. You look at the Mariners, of all the contending teams, they throw more fastballs than any other staff. And it's fastballs that are not just, you know, here it is, hit it, but so well placed and generally at the top of the zone. So they love guys who have extreme arm angles. I'm talking about mostly below the average release height. So that ball is coming from a lower release angle to the top of the strike zone. They call that vertical attack angle. And, you know, probably no one has a greater vertical attack angle than Brian Wu. But across the board, even their bullpen, they have guys who can run that ball up the top of the strike zone from a low release angle. And that plays in today's game. So on one hand, you look at the Mariners staff and you go, man, that's just a lot of right-handed pitching. Where are the lefties? I don't think that's a big deal, really, because they, they present such different looks. Even Logan Gilbert. I mean, he obviously is straight over the top, but with his height and the long stride that he has, he releases the ball a foot closer to home plate than any other pitcher. So that, and again, is something that's going to trick a hitter's mind. You know, hitting is so hard because you guys see it every night. The stuff that guys bring to the mound, the spin, the velocity, um, so they see all these different pitchers, and it hit, the way a hitter's mind works is you just take all that information, and it's called a, a chunking way of thinking, where you chunk all that information into what you perceive to be is the most likely the place that ball is going to wind up. So if you have pitchers like Seattle has who are throwing low release point, high release point, uh, long stride, it really confuses the hitter's general sense of where the ball is going to be, and that's why the Mariners get so much swing and miss. They get a lot of pop-ups. And as I said, even in their bullpen, I mean, you look at the bullpen numbers for Seattle, even after the trade of Seawalt, and it's, they're right in there in the top two or three in strikeouts out of the bullpen as well. So, I mean, listen, we're getting farther down the road, but when you think about postseason matchups, guys, I always look at can pitchers, can your pitchers get hitters out in the strike zone? Because you guys know that the, the hitter's concentration really locks into the postseason environment. Nobody gives away the bat. Guys really grind out at bats. Season on the line a lot of times. So you better have stuff that gets people out in the zone because you don't want to be walking people and creating rallies that way. And I think Seattle's stuff plays really well in the zone, just about as well as anybody. I put Tampa Bay up there in the the same vein. Actually, a lot of similarities in the two staffs, the way they run them between the Mariners and and the Rays. So, yeah, I know that's getting ahead, but I think they're a dangerous postseason matchup because of what they can present on the mound. Well, we'll see them here in just uh, a week or so on the on a big final long road trip for the Mariners to New York and down to Tampa to close that thing out. Uh, last thing for me, Tom, more than likely Julio is going to be the American League Player of the Month, historic stuff this month. If he continues on just a torrid pace here in the final 32, it's Shohei's MVP obviously to lose, but can he close that gap? Can he make a chase for it in September? 
I mean, he could definitely make a chase for it. Um, you know, if he does it for a first-place team, big hits down the stretch. I've seen a lot of guys win the MVP with huge second halves, whether it was, you know, a Chipper Jones, a Terry Pendleton going way back, uh, Mike Piazza. You know, there's guys who, you know, I think can put it away with huge Septembers because the games are more meaningful. I don't care what anybody says to me. Games in September do mean more because there's more urgency, right? There's less room to recover from a bad stretch. Uh, and it's the freshest thing on voters' minds. Now, that being said, it's going to be really, really difficult to seat Shohei just because even if, and obviously he's not going to throw another pitch this season, his pitching numbers are so darn good. Um, wins above replacements can be tough for Julio to get to that number, almost near 10. So I would say it's still Shohei's to, to win, and it would be really hard. But, hey, listen, the way Julio's going right now, I think it's at least in the conversation, guys. And a month ago, I would have never have said that. I thought you could have started engraving his name on the MVP trophy for Shohei about a month ago. Hey, you know, we've, we've talked here, uh, last thing for us here, Tom, we've talked before uh, on this show a ton about Scott Service, who's kind of been ignored in the manager of the year voting the last few years. Not necessarily for the award, but do you think Scott's getting close to getting some of that national respect yet? Yeah, I hope he does. He reminds me a lot of Craig Council. And I say that because both teams are designed to play close games. And I know a lot of people will look at one run, two run games and say that's the residue of, of luck. You know, things can bounce one way or another. But when you have a manager on a team that consistently wins those kind of games, there's something going on. And I think in both cases, it's bullpen management. It seems like both guys, council and, and service, uh, do a good job with bullpens because they don't overuse guys. Um, you know, they go to the bullpen a lot, but not individually putting too much of a workload on guys. That's a huge part of winning those close games. So, yeah, I think service is at that point where he should be getting more national attention because of the way the Mariners play. I mean, listen, they're, they're a good offensive team. They're a little better than they were last year. They still strike out a little too much for me. Like Minnesota and Seattle to me is a scary amount of strikeouts in the lineup. But that being said, I, I think the way they play fundamental baseball, and as I said, bullpen management, that's got a lot to do with the manager. So he should deserve some credit, uh, probably more than he's been getting. And maybe this run the, the Mariners are on will get him some of that. What year did you first start covering baseball? 1982. And I'm sure in 1982, you were imagining a time when you'd be talking about attack angle, vertical attack angle for pitchers. <laughs> you'd be coming on to talk to us early this season about Kelnick and the swing changes he'd made. I'm sure yeah. it's just what you were expecting when you got into this business. <laughs> you know, it's funny. We didn't know what we didn't know back then. Like I remember guys like Kurt Schilling, and I was like, man, how does this dude get people to swing and miss when I look at his fastball and it's not moving at all? It's the straightest fastball I've ever seen. Well, if we had the metrics back then, I'm sure we would have figured out that he had an incredible vertical attack angle and an awesome spin rate because his fastball just held his plane and guys swung underneath it. Pretty cool. We just didn't know. I just thought it was an optical illusion. (laughs) (laughs) Pretty cool. Tom, thank you so much. We really appreciate you taking a few minutes. We're having a lot of fun here in Seattle, and hopefully we get a chance to see you guys in the postseason. Yeah, absolutely. Enjoy the ride, guys. Thanks All right, there you me. go. There's Thanks, Tom Verducci, Sports Illustrated, MLB Network, and Fox, and everywhere else. Great stuff there, and you can hear some of the respect he has specifically for this rotation, but for this Mariner team in general. We'll come back, give you the details of the weekend, everything you need to know, then some football with Brady in 20 minutes. Brock and Salk, Sales Sports on 710. Need to know. 15 minutes past every hour with Brock and Salk. Here's what you need to know. Up first, 
Fun to hear Tom Bernucci a few minutes ago talking about these first-place Mariners and saying if he has to handicap this race down the stretch, he likes what the Mariners bring to the table. Why? Because of their pitching, and we got to see it yesterday. Fire. We're going to soft pop up. J.P. Crawford tracking this Mariners shortstop. A couple of steps into shadow left. Makes a two-hand catch. We're out number three. Luis Castillo dominant once again today. One hit over seven scoreless innings at T-Mobile Park. He has throttled the Royals in the final game of this series. He was tremendous as they go on to win three to two home runs for Teo. And, of course, Julio once again. That was all they would need as they win and sweep the series. Texas loses two of three, Brock. So the Mariners are alone in first place. Mm, 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 mm. First time in 20 years. A long time. Last two days, remember those pesky Royals in Kansas City, those funky games that it felt like? A spring training ball flying out of the yard. Oh, my gosh. All these runs, all these hits. Wondered if that would translate with Kansas City on a road trip in your park against your dominant pitching. Logan gives up one home run. Luis Castillo gives up one hit. And those pesky, feisty, competitive Royals were no match for the Mariners, who didn't just go about winning a series. They went about sweeping a series, and that is why they are alone in first. That is for sure. Oakland now comes in town for three. They are uh, not a good baseball team. Brian Wu against old favorite TBA tonight for Oakland. Here's the second thing you need to know. Well, we'll talk uh, some more detail with Brady Henderson here in about 10 minutes. Seahawks finished up their preseason schedule Saturday. They lose 19-14 in Green Bay. It was not the most exciting game of all time, but Jake Bobo stood out once again. Really cool. Um, been really cool for me. Been really, really cool for my family and friends to kind of just see some of that. Um, so I'm, I'm very grateful. I'm honored um, to uh, have some of the, the 12 jump on the uh, the Bobo bandwagon a little bit. Um, so that's been really cool to see. Um, you know, like I said, I'm I'm honored that you know folks think uh, yeah I'm worthy of of their praise. So here's my question, Brock. After years of being made fun of for the ridiculous tease that my uh, football league had after every game where the two schools would get together and have tea after the game. How do we feel about the fact that Seattle is now like ISL Central between Matty Beneers and now Jake Bobo? Shane Waldron? Shane Waldron as well. I mean, well, like, coaching it's sort of you. turning into an ISL uh-huh. town. Yeah. Are, are you hanging your hat on that now? Because I thought before you were ripping the ISL and ripping anybody that comes out of there. Well, and and certainly nobody could come out of the ISL. Hockey, just like a Boston College receiver. Can't, can't be that. We'll see if that guy's any good. Yeah, hockey, yes. We, it, it's not the first in hockey. Everything else, surprising. And I don't know why you say that that's not a third person. That's okay, not we, third person. That's third person. No, he's talking about the bandwagon. He's not saying he's not calling himself Jake Bobo. He's saying it's the Bobo the bandwagon. Bobo bandwagon? Like, what else could he call it? <laughs> that's like the name of the bandwagon. Yeah, I think that person. one's totally acceptable. Here's the third thing you need to know. Got to imagine Bobo's made this team. The question is who else, and that's why we're talking to Brady, because they got cuts tomorrow, Brock. They got to get down to 53 plus another, what, 16 guys on the practice squad. They got some really difficult choices to make. Mm-hmm. And that's what you want. I mean, that's what this roster, when it was really going at their very best, the, we, you had these 24 to 48 hours for the front office were were difficult and miserable trying to figure out, okay, now who can we release? Who can we get back? That's part of it. Secondly, okay, how can we find a trade partner where it's a, a real win-win for, I don't know, the Diamondbacks and Mariners? It seemed, seemingly have been with Seawald and Rojas and Canzone coming the other way. 
How can we find a deal and, and get a deal like that done? And then, as Pete said, how can you keep everybody happy? And we want to keep this thing together as much as they preach about competition and preach about the team and preach about everything you know that he wants to keep them all involved because he's loved the energy in the the last month so plenty of work to do over these final well less about 24 hours or so until those cuts have to become official all right there you go that is everything you need to know quarter past every hour also throw in there that before those cuts were made the uh, niners decided to trade trey lance to dallas for a fourth round pick i'm still surprised they got a fourth round pick for trey lance who every time i watch him looks like he is not a NFL third pick in the draft man third pick in the draft but there's going to be NFL people well there's going to be people that evaluated him and said we had him as a first round quarterback and we could get him now as a fourth and we can you know he could find his his place here and, and we can develop him here and turn him into even more and the only way that happened is multiple teams and you get jerry jones to not even consult the rest of the people in the building mm-hmm. and go about and make that decision on unbelievable own. jerry's just like ah fourth rounder let's go oh uh really sir okay yeah i guess yeah, in a year true. your head coach has really got to win in a year your quarterback's <laughs> got to really prove that he can be a difference maker in the playoffs sure let's just you know instigate and bring that maybe in they'll order. go with like nine quarterbacks on the field at some point this year all right the seahawks have big time decisions to make and not a lot of time left to make them what will they do what are the toughest calls to make who will be on this team we ask brady henderson all those questions and more coming up next on brock and sulk you're listening to Brock and Salk. Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studio. On Seattle Sports and the Seattle Sports app. All right, Brady Henderson going to join us here in just a moment. Brock and Salk, Seattle Sports on 710SeattleSports.com. Tomorrow's cutdown day. How about that? Seahawks will get an opportunity to see what this roster looks like, Brock. And they got some real difficult choices to make, obviously. I mean, they, you've got some guys really competing for a few of these roles, and and I, there's a there's always a surprise or two. Correct. And then you start thinking about bringing guys in from elsewhere. Yeah, that's, uh, that's going to be an interesting one. Brady joining us right now. Good morning, Brady. Hello, Brady. Oh, hold on. Here we go. Brady. Hi, Brady. Brady's on the boat. Hello, Brady. Hello, Captain Brady. Well, hello. How are you doing? Oh, we're doing good, buddy. Good, uh, good to check in with you. I know that you're busy uh, any second, any minute. So if you got to run, you know, you got breaking news or breaking story, you can just kind of tell us, and you got to get going. Uh, Salt just said it right there. Let's start with the big one. Do you see a major surprise or two over the next 24 hours on this roster? Well, you've always got to be on the lookout for them to make uh, some sort of a trade on cut down. I know we haven't seen it in a couple of years, but the history is there with Sheldon Richardson, uh, with Jevion Clowney in 2019, and the need is there too on, on their defensive line. I really think that they need to add at least one body there, uh, even if it's just a depth piece. And, and you know, look, there's going to be 1,100 players or so uh, that get released by tomorrow, maybe you know a little fewer than that because some of those guys will end up on IR. But there's going to be a lot of guys out there that you don't have to give up a draft pick for. But there is a need there, and there is a history there, and they've got uh, you know some. They've got at least one tradable piece in Mike Jackson. I still don't think that makes sense to trade him unless you know it's going to be for a guy who can help you this year. I think that would make a lot more sense than just getting back you know a fifth round pick next year when you consider he's on you know, a cheap rookie contract and he's a starting caliber player who could have some trade value. But if you could get a defensive lineman who can help you this year, uh, I think that could make some sense. They've also got an extra third round pick next year uh, from the trade that they made with the Broncos on draft day. So, uh, 
the bottom line is they, they need to add somebody there. That's probably the one position where you can, um, you know, say with some degree of confidence that they're going to add somebody at that spot, whether it's via trade or picking up somebody who just got let go. Where are the toughest choices for them to make? Uh, well, I, it's partly it's there, uh, and I think part of it and why it's so hard to really get a fix on this sometimes when you're trying to project a roster is you don't know who's going to end up on IR, and so you don't know uh, exactly how many spots they're going to have to fill, and that was one of the positions when I was doing my projection for ESPN.com the other day that was difficult because I don't know what's going to happen with Mike Morris. He's a guy that they drafted in the fifth round uh, with the expectation that he would be sort of one of their rotational defensive ends. He's missed a couple weeks now. Uh, with a shoulder injury, and you know, we just really haven't seen uh, much of anything from him or from Cameron Young, for that matter, their fourth-round pick uh, at nose tackle. And so um, I, I, it sounds like Cameron Young is going to be healthy. He's been out with a calf injury. Uh, but Mike Morris, we don't know what's going to happen there. Um, I think the other tough decision is what do you do at wide receiver with all the injuries there? And, and again, we don't know what's going to happen with Derek Young and whether or not he even had surgery uh, but that was one of the spots. Uh, I think we all agree now that Jake Bobo is going to make it. And in fact, he might even be their number three receiver in week one because of the injuries there. But do you keep somebody like Cody Thompson uh, as the fifth guy, or do you go out and get somebody else? Um, so those were probably the two positions. And I'll give you another one, an underrated guy. I know this guy made it onto your most intriguing Seahawks list, but uh, Chris Stoll, uh, he's the undrafted rookie long snapper from Penn State. <laughs> Uh, I wonder if that's uh, a sp- another spot they could look to upgrade. Carson Tinker, the guy that they had snapping for them last season after Tyler Ott went down, he's available. Really not a huge difference when you're talking about a minimum salary long snapper. It'd probably be the difference of like $300,000 against the cap. And to get a veteran guy who you know has done it before for a long time, that could be a spot where they would be willing to make a change. So so let's go back to wide receiver for a moment because that one is is interesting to me and some of the options they have. I would think the first question you brought it up there is, what do you do with Derek Young? Is he going to IR? Does he come back at some point this year? Obviously, we don't know the answer to that. But depending on on what happens there, then what? I mean, you, you mentioned Cody Thompson. A lot of people today talking about uh, Aesop uh, Winston, right? And so, like, <laughs> how do you handicap the race after Jake Bobo? Yeah, it's hard, and it depends so much on how long they feel like Jackson Smith and Jigba is going to be out, and then uh, Derek Young as well. And then just one point on Young with, you know, IR. So if you put a guy on IR, you know, on or before cutdown day, that guy has to miss the entire season. So I think the it doesn't sound like that was something that was going to keep him out the entire year. Maybe he misses a few weeks if he has surgery. So I think if that's the case, what they would do is they would keep him through cutdown day put him on IR a day later, that allows him to only miss, you know, the four games on IR. Um, and so I, if, if it's not a serious injury, I think that's what they would do there, but then you'd still be missing him for four games and you need somebody to hold down that fort. Kate Johnson is another guy there. Um, you know, when you're talking about back end of the roster guys, it's, you know, it's, it's, you're probably not counting on them to really give you a whole lot other than to just be an extra guy there. Uh, and again, to hold down the fort until the other you know guys who are injured come back. Should we read into DJ Dallas's tweet last night? No, I don't think so. No, I, I, I can't imagine that. I mean, I certainly can't imagine he's being released just because you know everything that he provides on um, special teams and otherwise, and, and as a nice you know third down option. I, I saw the tweet and I kind of wondered about that, but um, no, I can't imagine he's just too valuable to their. Uh, backfield, especially with Kenny McIntosh missing some time. And so uh, I know he, he's in the last year of his contract and he's played enough to where, 
you know, those fourth year guys get a bump in the final year of their rookie contract. But I even think even a, you know, making a couple million dollars, that's, he's, he's not like on a bloated contract by any means for what he gives them depth wise and on special teams. He is a hit man. Uh, about a year ago, his hit piece came out on Russell Wilson uh, and he's looking oh, for receipt and he's kept his receipts, by the way. He had the hit man has kept his receipts. He is Brady Henderson, uh, made a living uh, writing some, some great articles. Uh, I'm just, uh, I'm just kind of curious. You've also made a living parsing Pete. We played some Pete Sound in Blue 88 about Daryl Taylor, Brady. To me, there have been a lot of injuries this camp, right? A lot of back and forth. And, you know, certainly Jamal Adams finally coming off a pup and, and all of that conversation. But Pete on August 6th basically said Daryl's a couple days away. Last Thursday, <laughs> he said, I don't know what to tell you. I don't know how to answer that. What is going on with Daryl Taylor? Yeah, I've been wondering about that, too, because it didn't sound like a, a really serious injury when he suffered it at first, and it just has kind of dragged on. Um, so I, I haven't known what to make of that. It, it never sounded like it was a deal where he was going to need surgery and it was going to be out past the start of the season. It just seemed like one of those many injuries where they give a, a guy a week or two to quiet it down, and then he comes back and he's fine. But you know, that is suddenly a position of maybe some mild concern because Derek Hall, uh, injured his shoulder in the, the game on Saturday. And so that's not like a super, uh, I mean, when everybody is healthy, it looks like a nice deep pass rush group, but I think they've only got five outside linebackers on their 90 man roster right now. And, and two of them are hurt. So that's, you know, depending on the severity of both of those injuries, that could be another spot where they look to add somebody. Then again, you still do have what, uh, 13 days, whatever it is. My math is not good, but I think it's two weeks before the opener. Um, so maybe that's enough time for both those guys to get healthy. But Daryl Taylor is is one guy that when we talk to Pete Carroll, that's going to be you know worthy of an update just because it seems like it's taken longer than it initially sounded like it would. Any concern that Devin Bush was in the game in the fourth quarter and playing on special teams in the final preseason? Um, I wouldn't be too concerned. No, I mean that that is typically you do look for veteran guys and when they're playing you know with the third string late in the game that does kind of make you wonder sometimes but I don't think there's any doubt about him making the roster because I think that they're going to need him early on I mean Jordan Brooks is going to be ready by the start of the season Pete Carroll all but guaranteed that um, on Saturday but you're not going to throw Jordan Brooks out there for 60 snaps a game when he's you know coming off the torn ACL from January 1st and so I think even with Bobby and Brooks there you're still going to want to spell Brooks um, quite a bit, I would imagine, early on until he gets, you know, totally reacclimated. And then, you know, Devin Bush was going to play a whole lot on special teams or is going to play a whole lot on special teams. In fact, I think he was hurt uh, on a punt play. And so, um, no, I wouldn't be concerned about that at all. Other guys who play deep into the preseason, yes, but not him. Do you have a hit piece coming out this year or no? <laughs> Jeez. Uh, no, no, I, I've never you. written a hit piece. In fact, uh, despite <laughs> what some people in Denver might think. No, I, don't. Uh, I love it. Your feelings, Brady, one month ago, when you started covering camp, it was about one month ago, one month and a couple days, your feelings about this team 32 days ago versus your feelings today, cut down day with game day, 13 days away. I think the the one feeling that is the same is that I think this team is really going to be good at covering people. And I say that still not knowing who is going to be, uh, you know, what the number two cornerback, who the nickelback is going to be. Um, that is, I think, the, the strength of this team. In fact, we did an exercise at ESPN.com. Uh, it was an assignment where they asked us to pick you know, all 32 reporters. What does the team you cover, what do they do best? 
And I, I had some trouble figuring that out because it's not as obvious as it has been with, uh, you know, past Seahawks teams and, and probably with other reporters who are doing this assignment. I, I don't know exactly what this team is going to be able to hang its hat on and say, this is what, you know, we do better than anything else. Um, they have a chance to have a really good offensive line. I think their quarterback play is going to be solid. They're going to be pretty good at explosive plays. But in terms of what this team does best, I really don't know. And the thing that I came up with is they're going to be able to cover people pretty well. Just when you look at some of the names uh, in that cornerback group, I think you can expect a nice second-year jump from Tariq Woolen, which you typically don't think about with guys coming off Pro Bowl rookie seasons. But remember, this is only, I think, his fourth season as a full-time cornerback and with all that athletic ability. Um, so that is probably the overarching thought is just how strong this cornerback group um, could look. I still have questions about how good they're going to be against the run, and that's just not something you can always get a feel for watching a team in training camp when they're not tackling people to the ground. It's not, you know, the practices, even the full padded practices aren't all the way live. You're not seeing a whole lot of starters in the preseason. So that is still, and I know Mike Salk uh, has hammered this point home quite a bit, but I still don't know how good they're going to be against the run. They're certainly going to be better, especially when Adams comes back, because I think he's going to be a difference maker for them against the run. As much as we think of him just being a pass rusher, I think he could really help them there and will when he gets back. But uh, that is still the, the big question mark with this team. Well, the Michael Dixon uh, disrespect is noted. 206 points out that they will punt better than any other team. So, Brady, I, I think maybe that was one you, there should, you have, go. should have thought about uh, for your exercise there. Let me give you uh, a few bubble guys and tell me whether you think they are on the team or not on the team. Let's start with your guy, Jonathan Sutherland. I think he's on the team, yeah, and, and that assumes that the injury that's kept him out for a week or so is not serious, but I have him over uh, Jarek Reed, the rookie six-round pick. I just think he has made a lot more plays. He's consistently been working with uh, you know, the first unit, even going back to the spring, albeit in dime packages when some other defensive backs were out, but I've seen enough from Jonathan Sutherland to put him on my roster. Okay, well, Jarek Reed was going to be my next one, so you have him off the roster. How about Tyreek Smith? I, I think Tyreek Smith is on, yeah, and he is uh, he is definitely a bubble guy, I think. But um, I know that they really liked him last year uh, before he got hurt, and he's looked nice. I think he's more of a pass rusher than a run defender, just looking at the build. But uh, he looks like a speed guy who can help them out, uh, you know, sort of deep in that outside linebacker rotation. Again, especially given the injuries to Daryl Taylor and uh, Derek Hall, depending on how serious those are. So he is on, not as confidently as Jonathan Sutherland, but he's on. How about everybody's favorite, Levi Bell? Yeah, and that would be the one guy, I think, that if, if Tyreek Smith doesn't make it, it would probably be, be in favor of Levi Bell, who is, uh, you know, whenever you think of the term, you hear about guys playing with their hair on fire. That's exactly what you think <laughs> of when you see Levi Bell. And he's, he's kind of done a lot. Like, he even played, I think, some interior defensive line for them. Even got out there at fullback when Nick Ballore was out. Um, he's sort of a built like a bowling ball. So not the typical outside linebacker build, but he plays his butt off and uh, he gave them some, uh, you know, decent production. So I would think that if he's not on the 53, he's the practice squad candidate. How about the entire backup linebacker room? Radigan, <laughs> Ben Burkirvin, the rookie out of Montana. How does that all shake itself out? Yeah. And, and that is one that, you know, my projection changed when, uh, when we heard that Jordan Brooks was on track to be ready by week one. Um, I did not have, I thought he would be a puff guy just to, you know, given the timing of that injury, you just typically don't see guys come back from ACL injuries that soon, but 
it sounds like he is. And so I've got Brooks is obviously there and I had to take one guy out. So I had Ben Burke making it. Um, he was the guy I removed when I put Brooks back on the 53. I think Radigan is a lock. Um, but beyond that, it, you know, beyond the top three guys of Brooks, uh, Wagner, Bush and Radigan, I think it's probably one or two guys there. Um, so if, if any, you know, obviously knowing that Nick Ballore can play there in a pinch and he's going to make the roster. So I think that I, in my projection, I think I had, uh, just the, the four inside guys. Uh, yeah, Wagner, Brooks, Bush, and Radigan, and then BBK, Vi Jones, uh, those are the odd men out. Over, under, over the next 24 hours, two and a half trades made by the Seahawks. Two and a half trades made? Oh, I would have to take the under there. Yeah, I would have to take the under. I mean, I, I would set that under it, uh, or the over, under it, maybe like a half, uh, just because, you know, you, you don't see them make, it's not, you know, it's, maybe they make one trade per year. Um, so two and a half would probably be a lot, but again, it wouldn't surprise me just because they've got the need there. They've got the history and, uh, they've got some tradable pieces, but again, you know, there's over a thousand players who are going to be released between, uh, today and tomorrow. So you, you may get something that you need without having to make a trade for it. Or you may be concerned. One of those guys that gets cut that you really like, unlike maybe, the year before, or maybe people's expectations that you would be high up on the waiver claim. You're not. Denver is fifth on that waiver claim. So sitting where you're sitting right in the late teens as a playoff team last year, you know this guy's going to get released. you got no chance of picking him up. So before he does, you make a call. I mean, isn't that John's business? You make a call to that organization and say, hey, how about a conditional seventh for somebody we know you're going to release that we'd have no chance of getting on the waiver wire? Yeah, true. And, and now that you mentioned it, when you're talking trades like that, I'm thinking of more that have popped into my head, like, you know, for lesser uh, things that they've had to give up. I think they gave up a conditional seventh round pick for a cornerback named John Reed a couple of years ago. So I was forgetting about those. Yeah, those are trades, trades, Brady. Okay, those are trades. And why would you disrespect John Reed like that? How I, do you, really yeah, the world, don't so diminish was, any you know, NFL player, Brady. You really are a hit man. I, I really, now I see where it comes what? from. <laughs> Oh boy! I, so do you want to re? Do you, know that that was do you want to recalculate up. your answer on two and a half now, pal? Yeah. Okay. I will say under two and a half still because they're not going to make three trades, but maybe they'll make one. Uh, and yeah, that's a good point about the waiver order. They're twentieth in waiver order, so if there's somebody they really want, you know, our nineteen teams going to pass on that guy? Probably not. But I, I do think if there's a trade, yeah, if you if you're talking about you know trading a next to nothing pick, then. Yeah, there could maybe be more than one, but I wouldn't guess more than Speaking two. of trades, would you rather have a fourth-round pick or Trey Lance? Would I rather have a fourth-round pick or Trey Lance? Uh, I would take Trey Lance. Really? Yeah. Why, why are you willing to just waste a fourth-round pick like that? It seems surprising to me. Well, I mean, he's obviously got some upside. Obviously, it worked out horribly for him. You in, watched uh, him play? Yeah, it's not good. Dude, he it's stands. not good. He's not worth a fourth so round So you pick. said the same thing about Gino for a couple of years, all right? So and I, I was gave right you that until I wasn't. Sm- smirky little look, all right? This was the third pick in the draft. So? Third pick. So? All right. Brady, thank you. Good Are stuff. you done with us, Brady? Is that it? Yeah, I think that's pretty much it. Am I done with you? Well, I've been done with you guys. Yeah, are you done with me? <laughs> I, think we're, I think we're all now pretty well done with each other. Uh-huh. Brady, nice eagle over the weekend. What'd you shoot? Because I, I heard your game was not where you wanted it to be. No, no, I shot a 82 yesterday, but I had an eagle, and so that made everything a little better. Brock, did you know Brady has lost two club lengths? What Just out of nowhere. He's, he's not hitting the ball as far. All of a sudden, he's two clubs lower than he used to be.
Well, I don't know what it's back, about. Huh? I, 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 yeah, it was greenside on the par five yesterday and chipped in for Eagle. So. What do you make of that, though? We're all, getting, right a little, we're all getting a little older. We're all getting a little older. It's okay. Brady, appreciate you, bud. Thanks, Thank buddy. You. All right. Thanks, there you guys. go. The great Brady Henderson. You. you should go read his uh, his whole breakdown on ESPN.com of what this roster will look like because uh, Brady covers his team as well as anybody does a great job there. I think I'm going to take the over on my two and a half, by the way. I think wow. he's going to make three trades. And I think some of them may be a conditional seventh-round pick. It may be moving one of your guys. That you know, it may not be just the, the top end of the roster. I think when I brought that up, you're immediately thinking like oh, Percy or Jimmy or you know, big big names. No, no, no. I'm, I'm talking about filling out needs, right? With your, our need, your need, and when you're 20th on that waiver wire, the likelihood of you getting one of these 1100 that you really, really want starts to get diminished a little bit. So, do you I, see them making a deal for a big name for a player who we know? Do you? I mean, because we've seen those before. I, I, I understand, you know, the John Reed trades of the world that you guys mm-hmm. are talking about, or Justin Coleman, or some of those sort of smaller names. Some of whom have gone on to be very good. So I'm not trying to disparage them, but they were not big names. As opposed to trading for Dwayne Brown, trading for um, what's his name, the the defensive end a few Rich- years ago, Jaden Van Clowney, mm-hmm. right? I mean, do you see them? Richardson, when Richardson, the D right? tackle, KJ's yes. buddy. Yeah. Do you see a deal like that in their future? Uh, not necessarily, but I also know that John will will blindside you. Like I mean, that you, nobody will have any whiffs of that whatsoever until Russell Wilson is actually traded. And it's Russell's people that let let them know while he's on the plane to Denver for his physical. Mm-hmm. So I also know that he's not afraid to go big if there is that opportunity. If there is, I don't know, a certain Chris Jones D tackle in Kansas City. Don't uh, highly unlikely, but he said he's willing to hold out to first eight nine weeks of the season. They're not trading Chris Jones. I, uh, they're probably not. They're not trading Chris Jones. No, they're they're probably not. Okay, but yeah, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna say that in the next 24 hours if they make a major move that I'm gonna be blown away or surprised. <laughs> they got some dry powder. They got some dry powder in the cap. They got some dry powder with some of the depth of, of personnel it's, it's in some funny. places. I'm glad you say that because I, it, it hadn't really dawned on me that that's something that this team would do this year. Maybe just because there isn't that name out there that that's been sort of talked about and people are wondering about. So, but as I as I think about it, Brock, and as you as you answer that question, when do you want to make a big time trade like that? The answer for me, anyway, anyway, would be when you've got a really good team that is one or two players away. And I guess that's the question about the Seahawks team. Are they one or two players away? And if so, is that I mean specifically on the defensive line? If you could add the right defensive linemen, does this team all of a sudden become a Super Bowl contender? And is the NFC far different right. than the AFC? Yes. I was listening to uh, to our buddy Mike Sando on a national broadcast yesterday, and and the, and the the hosts were asking, "Well, it's Philly, right? And San Francisco? Those are kind of the known commodities, the most stars, the mm-hmm. ones left standing at the end." And but aside from that, who's number three in the NFC? And I thought Sando, I was kind of curious, like, where would Seattle fit in this? And he went, well, Dallas, right? Dallas kind of showed you last year in the playoffs against San Francisco. They were right there. They got a, a pretty significant roster, a lot of depth, a lot of pieces. New Orleans has got some sneaky pieces now, Salk, with a, with a very sustainable quarterback. Mm-hmm. And you, know, you kind of go through the NFC. Minnesota was there. Detroit has gotten a lot of hype. I was waiting for him to say Seattle. He didn't. He didn't, but to me, how far away is Seattle from third in the NFC? And by the way, that little cut we played from KJ, that little promo we have, 
you know, the Clint Hurt versus Geno conversation, a little reminder, too, that Quandre's kind of in a contract year, big year for him. Bobby's on a one-year mm-hmm. deal. Devin's on a one-year deal. Jamal. All that is they- true. It, yeah. I, what's interesting to me, though, about what you just said is I don't know that I make the big-time deal to be third in the NFC. But what if Jalen Hurts gets banged well, up? Right. I mean, what my if Brock point is, Purdy's elbow? You, like, those do not I have. I believe that I can be first in the NFC with the deal as opposed to, uh, you know, depending on the size of it, right? I mean, if you're talking about trading a third or fourth round pick and, and getting back a, a, a good player, mm-hmm. I don't know if that's, not, you know, yes, I make that move. I see some texts to Forrest Buckner or Vita Vea or anybody like that. I mean, you get an opportunity to go get one of those kinds of guys to help your team. Don't you have to take you that? You giving up next year's first rounder? For DeForest Buckner, no. Thinking if you make that move, you're going to be picking in the mid-20s, right? Do you do you make that move? For Vita Vey, I would do that. Yeah, I, I mean, I don't know whether that's possible. Tampa, yeah, I know that's that. Not, but I'm just talking about, I'm talking about type of player, not necessarily specific player. For a guy at Vita Vea's ability, yes. For Are DeForest Buckner at this stage of his career, probably not. Does that make sense? It does, but I, I think those are the conversations being had right now. And I don't mind them swinging big because I think this NFC is wide, wide open. And if you believe in your young people like Pete does and you believe in your quarterback like Pete does and you believe in the, kind of the juice and where it is going and you can add you know, to one of your areas of, of deficiency with that kind of a difference maker, I think you do have to have a first or second or third or any of those draft picks on the table right now. All right, good stuff. Fun conversation, and uh, we'll learn a whole lot more of it. Stay tuned here to the station and, of course, uh, to seattlesports.com for the very latest as the Seahawks make their cuts and trades, et cetera, before tomorrow. Coming up next, let's get back to the hottest team in town, or are they? It's the Brock and Salk Show on Seattle Sports on 710.